Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful to be able to worship together and to encourage one another? It's always fun when the family of God gets together. Now, if you are under, let me think, about 13 years old and you're going to find it a little too tiring to listen to me for 20 minutes, you're welcome to head on out to the other room here with uh, Renee and Jane. So they will be doing exciting and fun things for younger people. And all of you young at heart folks can stay here because we've got some excitement and fun as well. All right? <laughs> Love our new worship team. He's got a good voice, doesn't he? Yay! <laughs> I mean, our existing worship team was in action as well. but <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Jane. I want us to focus for a, a few minutes this morning on the power of words. Because God is always speaking his word into our lives. And we love to listen to God and to hear what he wants to say to us. And his written word is full of truth for us about his spoken word. And the two, of course, go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, I'm speaking to you now, but I'm also looking at words that I've written down that I might want to say. So the, the speaking and the written really belong together. So come with me to Hebrews 4, first of all. Hebrews 4, verse 12, to kind of give us a, a starting point. For the word of God is living and active. Just like you. You're living. Or well, I thought you were. <laughs> yes, Mark. Yes, Jan's living and active. You know, whether you're trying to find the reference on your phone or whether you're flipping through your Bible or whether you're trying to drink your coffee or you've gone for a snack, you're active, okay? There's action happening because you're alive. And the Word of God is exactly the same way. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, I remember very vividly when I first read that verse, when I'd first come to faith as a college student, I was really freaked by that. I'm like, whoa, this book is really dangerous and it's out to get me. Because somehow the Word of God knows what's in your heart. And I had a completely wrong picture of God because I misunderstood that scripture. And I didn't read it with the life that's in it. That's why I paused when we looked at the first two words about being living and active, because the, the logos is the Greek word for, for word there in Hebrews, and it's Jesus. Who knows how John's gospel begins? In the beginning was the word. Who's that? Jesus. And he was God and he was with God and, and all of that that John goes on. And what John is doing is he's connecting Jesus into everything in the, in the Hebrew Bible, going right the way back to the beginning of Genesis, where it says, in the beginning, God. So John is deliberately telling the story of Jesus and introducing us to Jesus in a way that locates Jesus at the very beginning, and Jesus as the Word, who is living and active. So Hebrews tells us that Jesus is living and active. Now that feels a little more comfortable to me. Yeah? Yeah, Jesus knows what's going on in me, but he doesn't do it with a sword, as it, I would imagine him doing it with a sword, you know, but some of you here are medical, you know, that whole thing of scalpels and operating rooms and, you know, needles and... <laughs> now, sometimes we need a needle or a scalpel, right? But actually, Jesus is like a very kind doctor who wants to make sure that there's nothing left wrong with you. Amen. Mark's paraphrase, but that's where we're going with that. So... Living means simply alive with God's gift of life. 
And active means full of energy and, and effective. And as I've already said from Genesis chapter 1, we saw that in the beginning God spoke. And everything happened. So to God, his words and his actions are the same thing. With God, when he speaks, he acts. So when God speaks to you, in whatever way he does it, he may speak through the words that are recorded in this library of books, or he may speak to you through a brother or sister in the body of Christ. He may even speak to you through some of the things I'm going to say this morning, or he may speak direct to your spirit by his spirit. However God speaks, what he speaks to you will become effective and alive in you because God speaks it. If you don't believe that, just take a look outside. You know, God said trees, and there they all were. God said skies, there they were. God said earth and world and animals and aardvarks and, you know, possums <laughs> and humans. So when God speaks, he acts. The words that we speak are very powerful because we're made in the image of God. So you carry the same generative ability, albeit in a reduced way, because we're, <laughs> we're, we're somewhat um, dented as humanity, aren't we, right now? We're waiting for God to finally restore us to how he intended us to be. But our words are still powerful. So it's important that we, we reflect on what we say, how we say it, and what we achieve through saying it. Because our words are still powerful when they line up with God's words. Right? So if I speak something that's in line with God, what God is speaking, it's powerful. It does something. It achieves what I speak because it's in line with God. Now, if I take it on myself and start declaring, you know, I am going to go to Hawaii. Well, that was just Mark. And I've tried saying it and it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> which gives you an insight into the difference between God's power and Mark's power. Maybe, you never know. There are prophetic words about the nations, and as you know, Jane and I have uh, both traveled to and lived in quite a few nations, and we're on our third citizenship already, so maybe God's up to something, but we'll see. Our words are powerful when they line up with God's words. If you look at John 12, verse 49... Jesus said the same thing. I'm going to read it to you in the Passion Translation because it makes it stand out afresh. Jesus says, I'm not speaking as someone who is self-appointed, but I speak by the authority of the Father himself who sent me and who instructed me what to say. So everything that Jesus said was what his Father told him to say. The problem with having God's word written down, and don't get me wrong, this is a very powerful collection of books, <laughs> and it's vital that we do read this, but if we only read this, we are susceptible to human error in our reading of it. That's exactly why Jesus had to take the religious leaders to task in, in earlier in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 5, <laughs> Sorry, I just had a flashback to when I was first converted. There was a very popular Bible study book at the time called Search the Scriptures. Some of you may be ancient enough to remember that. Um, it was certainly very popular in the UK, but I know it's available here in the States as well. But it was called Search the Scriptures. I thought, oh, that's a really good name for a book that's going to help you look in. The then I looked up where the verse comes from about searching the Scriptures, and it's Jesus talking to the religious leaders. He says, you search the Scriptures, but you've missed me. Oh, maybe that wasn't such a great title after all. <laughs> so he says to the religious leaders, you are busy analyzing the scriptures, poring over them, hoping to gain eternal life. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life you're looking for. Eternal life. You see, words are powerful but only when they're aligned with what God is speaking and breathing on into our lives. You know, there are two Greek words for word. 
We only have one English word for word, but there are two Greek words. The one we started out with in Hebrews is logos, which is the name that is given to Jesus, connecting him with the beginning when the word became flesh. So the logos is the spoken word of God made visible, made tangible, made concrete, made readable. The logos is in here. God has spoken and he's done it. But then there's also the Greek word rhema. And if you say rhema, you're getting the sense of what rhema is. You can hear the breath in the word. And it's where God breathes his word into us. It will never contradict what's already recorded of what God has said. But it will often bring fresh life to it. And that's what Jesus was um, correcting the religious leaders about. That they were so immersed in what they had and could control that they'd lost sight of the breath of God. Blowing into them fresh life. And so they missed that the word is standing in front of them fulfilling everything they've been asking for. God continues to speak his word into each of our lives and into our gatherings together as well. There are many prophetic words that have been spoken under the influence of the Holy Spirit by people we know and we trust that bring us hope and bring us direction and bring us guidance and bring us um, vision for the future of Catch the Fire, Myrtle Beach, and of each of us individually. And God continues to speak, and that's why I wanted to focus on the power of words this morning, because when God speaks through the prophetic, we need to accept what he says. Obviously, we need to measure it against Scripture, make sure it's not some false prophecy, but the majority of them are not. <laughs> And allow God to impart those to us. Because, and, and I'll give you a handout at the end. I'm not going to give it to you now because I don't want you distracted. But I'm, I've just done a brief summary of some of the prophetic promises that we've received in the last few years. And it's amazing how well they all interconnect to give us a sense of purpose. So, uh, yeah, watch out for that at the end. Don't leave until you've got one. Yes, that's right. So when God speaks to us, let's say, for example, one word that God has given us recently is that this is a season for breakthrough. Right? Not just for us as a church family, but yes, for us as a church family. It's a season for breakthrough. And what we need to do with that is to say, okay, Father, I hear you. I accept that you're saying this is a season for breakthrough. I am going to agree with that, and I'm going to ask you to send us breakthrough. It's a little bit like I might pull out a, a $50 bill. I'm not going to because I haven't got one on me. But if I pulled out a $50 bill and offered it to Hillary, it wouldn't be hers until she takes it. Right? She may want it, but she may be too embarrassed to come take it. Or she may not trust me. Or there could be all kinds of reasons why she doesn't take it. But if she does take it, now it's hers. In the same way, when God speaks, we want to be people who receive the word and let it take root and bear fruit. And I want to focus in on that for the second half of what I'm going to say this morning. because, And this is effectively, those of you who are around when Bob Sorge was with us, this is kind of my take on Bob Sorge. Um, and uh, uh, Dave, I apologize, you've heard this already, but that's fine. I shared some of this at the men's retreat a couple of weeks ago. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the story about the sower. And he says that the seed is the word of God. And the word there is rhema. It's the prophetic word. It's the breathed word. It's the now word that God is speaking into our lives and into our hearts constantly whenever we'll listen and receive it. And it says in the, in the, way, the account that, that Jesus gives there, he says, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. 
Ah. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Ah. And since they had no root, they withered away. Ah. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Well, Jesus, isn't, this is not a very encouraging story. <laughs> have you ever felt like the things that God has spoken into your life haven't really produced much? Yeah? <laughs> I see some of you nodding on the inside. <laughs> see some of you waving frantically. Yeah, that's me. Me too. Because it's common for many of us. I'm sure that's why Jesus told the story this way. But the story doesn't finish there, does it? He says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Well, all of those are fantastic, aren't they? <laughs> you know, even thirtyfold is a pretty decent return. You don't get that in the stock market. He who has ears, let him hear. I think it's funny that Jesus says that the seed produces grain, and if you've got ears, you need to hear. <laughs> that just, you know. And as he's explaining it later on, obviously Jesus is the sower. He's the logos. He is the rhema. He's speaking the word of God in this story, but God continues to speak his word to us. And the seed is the rhema, and rhema is not just words, it's life-giving revelation. Because God is constantly whispering to your heart and to mine, I've got a plan, I'm in control, I know what I'm doing, I'm going to provide, you're going to have a breakthrough. Do this with me, do this, do that with me. And the soil, Jesus says, is our hearts. And in order for us to be fruitful and the word to be powerful in us, we need to do Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, Jesus told this parable because he wants you to be fruitful. He wants me to be fruitful. He intends for us to receive the words he speaks and for them to bear fruit. And he's speaking to us this morning. He's speaking to us constantly in order that we be fruitful. I love Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when God speaks into your life and into my life, he's saying it will work. We need to remind ourselves of that. You see, too often in my own life, I've said, well, that didn't happen and that didn't work. And I must have missed God on that one. And I'm constantly speaking out whatever it is that kind of snips off the... I, I'm a gardener. Let's just be honest. Okay. I, I love planting seeds and growing things but you know what there are wretched bugs out there yeah you know they come along and they nibble i've got these really nice pole beans except that they're not really nice anymore something came and ate the leaves off well i'm like that in my own life sometimes by the words that come out of my mouth i become my own pest and I bite off the life that God has spoken. But I'm committed to no longer doing that with the help of the community that I belong to. And Jesus puts several different insights into that little story that help you and I to be more fruitful. And that's where I want to focus uh, for the rest of our time together. It won't take long. I did this in 20 minutes at the men's retreat. It was a miracle. But anyway, uh, keep moving. Let's go backwards through the parable and see 
what it is that would hinder fruitfulness because it's only to get rid of the hindrances that we have to cooperate with God because good soil is fruitful all by itself. If there weren't little critters eating the leaves of my beans, they'd be big beans by now. The soil is good and the seed is good and the sun shines and the rain falls and it all grows. That's the way God designed it to be. But as I said earlier, you and I live in a slightly dented world and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And so Jesus is telling the story for us to be able to focus on the things that would hinder fruitfulness of the word. And we can deal with them. And let's pause at each step. There's three things and we'll pause after each one just to respond to him. If we start at the end, the last thing that chokes out fruitfulness in our lives is the weeds or the thorns, depending on your translation. And Jesus tells the disciples in, in chapter 4, verse 19 of Mark's Gospel, he tells us what those things are. What are the weeds in your life and mine that get in the way? They are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. So three things that get in the way that choke out the fruitfulness of God's rhema in your life and mine. The cares of the world are all the stuff that surrounds us. Facebook, CNN, Fox News, politics, sports, power, popularity, all the stuff that the world cares about you can find contradictions to it in here because the way the world works is not the way God designed it to work. I'll say more about that in just a second. The deceitfulness of riches. Now, we just talked about financial provision and breakthrough earlier on today, but riches themselves are not bad unless they lie to you. Jesus says it's the deceitfulness of riches that's the problem that chokes out the fruitfulness of the world, the word, excuse me. When I begin to believe that it's money that gives me life, or it's money that makes me happy, or it's money that's the solution to my problems, then it starts to deceive me. It's lying to me, if you like. But until I get to that point, riches themselves are not a problem. There's plenty of people in here who were filthy rich. <laughs> and at least for a season, they got it right and did good stuff with those riches. Until they became deceitful. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have any money. In fact, I would bless you all to have more money, but not to be deceived by it. But Jesus says if we get deceived by riches, <laughs> so that we focus on them and not on him, that's when the problem comes. This isn't in my notes, but it suddenly struck me. I think I've probably been deceived by riches more when I haven't got them than when I have got them. Yeah, It's so much easier to lose sight of Jesus when there's only two bucks in the bank. You know? <laughs> anyway, that was a free one. And the third thing Jesus says is the desire for other things. The things that I long for in my own um, perspective, in my own selfishness, if you like. Now that could be something as simple as I just want to be in control of life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, I just wish everyone would leave me alone. I want to be all by myself. Life would be so much nicer. Or, I just want to be popular and successful. I want to get to all these, uh, you know, the, the adoration of other people. I want to be like a Kardashian. I want to be famous for being famous. Poor people. Or it could be something that we tend to, you know, point the finger at more, you know, longing for alcohol or drugs or whatever else to numb the pain. Desires for other things. All of those things are weeds. And they will choke out the life of the seed, the rhema, the word, if we let them. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Now, like I said, I'm a gardener. I can tell you this about weeds. There will always be weeds. Right? There will always be weeds. So, don't adopt the goal of exterminating every weed. Like, okay, Mark, from this point forward, I'm never going to listen to the news again. Well, that's not going to happen. 
It's going to keep blaring at you. <laughs> and eventually you'll listen. And I don't want you to feel like a failure. No, weeds have to be controlled. Weeds have to be kept in their place. The problem with weeds is that they produce a lot of seeds but no fruit. And they take resource from the plant that's bearing fruit. They steal the water, they steal the nutrients, they block out the light or whatever. They crowd out the good. So you have to keep weeding. Keep those things in their place. Limit the ways that they drain your resources. So restrict them, but don't try to eliminate them. Because if you try to eliminate them, then you'll become completely focused on weeds and you'll never see the fruit. I'm in a season right now where I'm working with a young man who's wrestling with pornography. And he's come to me for help. He's not anybody in our church family. You don't know him, but he's been calling me and we've been talking. And I, what I'm trying to do is to help him stop focusing on every little tiny weed that springs up in his life. I said to him, hey, the more you focus on what you've got to try and stop, the more you're going to do it. Because the answer to any addiction is not to stop doing it. The answer is to find something better in community. Not to be isolated, not to be fighting it on your own, but simply to find what you were made for within the family of God. Let's pause and pray. Holy Spirit, what are some of the weeds that I battle in my life? What keeps growing up and getting in the way? What is robbing my fruit? by crowding you out in some way. Different weeds in different gardens, different weeds in different seasons, different weeds in different places. Holy Spirit, what are some weeds that you're just leading me to focus on now in this season in my life? Would you give me a strategy for keeping those things under control with your help? Just show me what it looks like, Holy Spirit. That I wouldn't be distracted by the cares of the world, or the deceitfulness of riches, or desires for other things. I will cooperate with you to see those things controlled. Not my power, but yours. Amen. And working back through the parable toward the middle, Jesus talks about the shallow soil which has rocks in it. I've gardened in a number of different places and the worst thing you can have is shallow soil where there's something hidden under the surface and you, 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 know, you go to dig and, dying, <laughs> and you hit some rock. Because when the sh soil is shallow, the roots can't go deep. And so when there's hardship, I wither. <laughs> How many else has had a hardship time in your life where you've withered? I know I certainly have on multiple occasions. And the rocks, you know, if the rock was visible, I'd pick it up and move it. It's the fact that it's hidden that's the problem. I don't realize that the soil is shallow until it's like, whoa, the sun came up and I'm withering. <laughs> it can be all kinds of hidden stuff in our hearts. It may be pride. Well, I don't know that that applies to any of us in this room. Or maybe one or two of you. <laughs> or it may be false hum humility, inferiority. Could be unbelief. Could be racism. 
could be all kinds of things, but it's the stuff that's hidden under the surface. You think nobody sees it, but then you wonder why the, the, the plant keeps withering. <laughs> there could be big rocks, there could be small rocks, but again, <laughs> they're universal. Everyone's got a rock somewhere. And typically you don't find it until you find it. That was deep, wasn't it? But it's true. Yeah? The whole point is you don't know it's there until you're digging. Rocks can come to the surface in changing seasons. When we lived in Toronto, it was amazing how many rocks came to the surface after the winter. I don't know what the ice and snow does, but somehow the rocks go, whoa! And they all come up into where you're trying to grow your vegetables. So you get to, not quite yet, <laughs> End of May was our usual safe starting point because otherwise the snow can come and kill everything. But you get to the end of May and you start digging ready for a new crop of wonderful vegetables in the summer and before you know it, you're bending your shovel on a rock that wasn't there last year. <laughs> Where did you come from? So sometimes it's the change of seasons that brings rocks to the surface but mostly you find them just in the regular process of cultivation. You know, you're digging through life and going on planting and sowing and tending and doing, there's a rock. <laughs> the most important thing is to not ignore the rock. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's the rocks. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, the hidden things that cause the roots to not go deep, but instead expose them. So when you find a rock, dig it out. And the bigger the rock, the more help you may need to dig it out. The beautiful thing about the family of God is that there is always help. Don't ignore the rocks you find. Don't feel shame over them, because we all find rocks. <laughs> but don't leave them hidden. Dig them up, pull them out. We're having a great time on Wednesday evenings with uh, the beginnings of a freedom and wholeness team here. Because we know that one of the prophetic words over Catch the Fire is that we're to be an equipping, healing center where people who've been hurt by life, and particularly people who've been hurt by church life in the past, can come and find the freedom that God created them for. So that team is, is coming and there will be all kinds of opportunities in the future for us to be able to dig out rocks together and to help each other dig those rocks out. I love what Bob said when he was here. The difference between Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Both of those guys, as you read the Gospels, had huge issues, didn't they? You know, if you've watched The Chosen, I know we're only into season three, and don't tell me what happens at the end of season three because I haven't caught up yet, but we've got Judas and we've got Peter, and they both got all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> the difference is Peter is way out in the open with it all, and Judas is hiding it all. That's the key with the rocks. Dig them up, expose them, as Ephesians says. Only Peter was an open book. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter became the foundation of all that God did through the book of Acts. Huge difference. <laughs> Whatever your rocks are, be real and open about them. Let's pause one more time before we go to the final session section as we pause maybe god has nudged you about some rock that you found in your life recently something that was hidden and now you've identified it so father who have you appointed or who have you connected me with who can help me dig that rock out who do you want me to recruit is this a big rock or a little rock is this deeply buried in my life or is this just come to the surface and I just need help to lift it off? Whatever it is, 
I choose with your help to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead to expose them, that I would be a fruitful soil for the seed of your word. Amen. <laughs> Back to the beginning of the story. This is the bit I find I resonate with the most, actually. You know, you get this great prophetic word in a meeting and then two weeks later you've forgotten it. Cheap, cheap. Or you read this great truth in scripture and, you know, you tell a couple of people about it and then by the end of the day so much other stuff has happened that it's, it's gone. I don't want that to continue to happen in my life where the rhema, the seed is eaten up by the enemy where the demons fly in and go oh thank you very much all you can eat buffet yum because it feels when you first read that as if that's inevitable you know that that's just going to happen because there's birds around <laughs> and often this was my reaction in the early days often what we do is we spend our energy trying to sort of drive the birds away we're flapping around trying to make sure that we don't let any demons get anywhere near our seed. But I want to suggest that that may be a waste of energy. <laughs> Partly because, you know, a whole flock of birds, by the time you're chasing one lot one way, the other lot come in behind you and they're still snacking on the seed. The problem is not the birds. The problem is that the seed isn't going in. It's falling on the path. It's falling on the hard places in my life. And if it were to fall on good soil, it would drop in and the birds would never find it. So it's the hardness in my heart that's the problem more than the birds. And I don't want to be flapping around trying to chase the birds away. I want it to go in deep so the birds can't get to it. You see, the path is the same soil as the good soil, except it's been trampled on. The path is the same soil as the good soil, but it's been trampled. As people walk through, it gets compacted and trampled. In England, we have a lot of paths in farmland footpaths you can walk from one place to another it's not the same as here where you really <laughs> if you stray off the sidewalk somebody will shoot you but <laughs> the point with the path is you need to keep to the path and very often when a footpath crosses a farmer's field there'll be a little sign at the gate or the opening that you walk through that just says please keep to the path because if I keep to the path, it's only, you know, a foot or two feet wide, and I'm not doing any significant damage to the crop. But if I get in there and I wander around all over the place, then I'm harming the crop. If we deal with the trampling, our hearts can stay open for God's rhema to settle in and bear fruit. And trampling is caused when people step on us. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Thankfully, most of the time it's unintentional, but still, we get stepped on. And you can have good boundaries, you know, the little sign that says, please keep to the path, but you've still got a, a trampled area that's not going to bear fruit. The deal is that anything that I do that allows the trampling of other people to harden me to God's word is going to make me a target for the birds and the seed will get stolen. It may be unforgiveness or it may be holding an offense. It may be comparison with other people. You know, you look around the room and you think, oh, wow, you know, John and Pat are so much more spiritual than I am. <laughs> and I begin to harden my heart 
Sorry, you guys, you just happen to be in the closest people. And they are more spiritual than I. <laughs> Here's a little snippet for you. If I'm keeping score in our relationship, that's going to be hardening my heart. You know, especially if it's a spouse or a very close friend or a roommate or somebody that you spend a lot of time with, a family member. If I'm keeping score, it's hardening my heart and the birds will have a feast. <laughs> but I loved what Jamie was praying in our prayer time before we began about the reign of God. Not the not the on the throne coronation reign like we, some of us were watching on the TV yesterday and back in the UK. No, the reign that comes out of the sky. God wants reign to soften our hearts. Hosea chapter ten verse twelve says, "Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord." that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You see, I can't afford to let my heart grow hard. I can't afford to let the trampling I've received from other people, whether intentionally or not, I cannot afford to let my heart get hard. And it's as I forgive others that I'm hoeing that fallow ground in my life. And it's as I seek the Lord that he comes and he reigns his Holy Spirit on my life to water the seed as it goes in to the softness that I've done, where I've cooperated through forgiveness. So we're going to finish by asking God, who do I need to forgive this morning? Who is there in my life recently that has caused me to harden my heart? Which relationships have been allowing trampling on my heart? Because I need to let them go. They may not deserve it, but I need to let them go for my sake. Because I cannot afford to have a hardened heart. I can't stop the trampling, but I can hoe the ground by forgiveness. So if you're willing to do that, and we're going to have an opportunity after this to let the Holy Spirit begin to reign on us and soften us further. But if you're willing to recognize and forgive, I'd like you to stand with me. And I want us to do something together as a kind of prophetic act. Uh, I guarantee you all of us have got somebody we can forgive. <laughs> and if standing is difficult for you, please don't feel pressure. But if you're able to stand with me, let's do this together. So Holy Spirit, who has been causing me to harden my heart? As he shows you who, I'd like you to just clench your fist for a moment as a kind of demonstration of the hardening that's happened toward that person or as, a ca as caused by that person. We're just going to clench our fists for a moment or two while we recognize that we've hardened our hearts. But then, Father, we're going to choose to forgive. We're going to choose to let those people go. <laughs> if you've got more than two you need to forgive, you may need to cl clench and unclench your fists more than once. <laughs> but you could do two with two hands. So, Father, I'm going to let that person go. And as you choose that, just open your hand to him. And feel the release as you forgive. Go from clenched fist to open hand. And if you need to, you can do it again. <laughs> but feel the release as you let them go.
Father, thank you that in the midst of our forgiveness, you are softening our hearts so that your words go deep. And because they're living and active, they bear fruit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and soften our hearts further with your reign right now. Just come and reign your presence on my heart. Feel him do that. If you've got your hands open, when I've done this before, people have literally felt the rain falling on their hands. You may want to just put a hand on your heart and say, come and reign on my heart, Holy Spirit, to soften me further, to make me more fruitful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And as you come and soften, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak life to each of our hearts. Come and speak your rhema word into me. And what do you want to say to my heart? today. Hmm. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just continue to listen to him, but I'm also going to just say a few things that I feel like he's saying to me to speak out to some of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Jan, I keep hearing the word courage for you. I know you love the image of the lioness. And God says, I gave you that image because I'm giving you courage. And I want you to release the roar. I want you to release the roar. Yes, you've scared off many of the wild beasts in your life, but there are more to scare away. I'm giving you courage. Release the roar. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Daddy. Yeah. Thank you, Father. And Alex, I feel to honor your humility and to speak over you that God is transforming humility into confidence and authority. He said that Moses was the most humble man in all Israel. See how much authority and how much confidence he had. I believe God is transforming humility into confidence and authority. As he waters the seeds that he's planted in your heart. Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This is more general, and if it settles in your heart, I encourage you to receive it. But I feel God saying, you belong. That there is a place for you, and you belong. I'm settling you in to the place you belong because this is where you'll flourish, the place I've chosen for you. You belong. And as your roots go deep, you'll find others drawn to you. 
just like we love to go and rest in the shade of a big tree. And I commission you to be that place where they can take root to. Thank you, Father. I know a number of you also hear God in a prophetic manner and I want to say that you're welcome to share encouraging prophetic words with others before you go. If God's given you some kind of hellfire and brimstone damnation word, then keep it to yourself and pray about it. <laughs> Don't go and bless somebody else with it. I'm joking. But I will encourage you to take these prophetic promises that we've compiled because God is on the move here and he's going to be doing fresh and new things. And so I'm going to commission each of you on the back of these, it says we are asking for, and there's just simple summaries of what's on the front, on the back here of what we're asking for. I'd like you to take these with you and join me in asking God to do this as we accept what God has promised over our church family and over us as individuals. Join me in asking God to do these things and we'll weave this in in some way to our future gatherings. So we put these on the table by the door. Please take one before you go. Father, would you bless every seed that you've planted in all of our hearts, even this morning, as well as water the seeds that were already there and help us to be more fruitful in your powerful word as you breathe life into your children. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, grab anybody, they're all safe. Ask them to pray. If you can't see anybody safe, come and find me. I'm not very safe, but I'll pray for you too. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.